0: To Vox Popcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And I am once again here with my co-host, Wayne Wise. Hey, Wayne, how's it going? Good. how are you, Mav? Oh, I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Is
1: <laughs> it? It is. <laughs>
0: I don't know. It's it's a weird thing to complain about when, like, I I basically have my dream job. Like, it's a, I worked real hard to get this job, and you know, and my job is to hang around and talk about pop culture and comics all day with students, and you know, I did that, and now I'm tired. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and Alexander wept for there were no more
0: worlds to conquer. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> That's how I'm doing. How about you, Lane? I'm fine. That sounded very convincing. I hope you're fine. Yeah, I'm good. Well, we should introduce the disembodied voice. Well, <laughs> I'm <a> disembodied voice. <laughs> I'd like to re welcome to the pod. It's been a while since you were on this show. This is Adam e. Lewis. You've been on. Several times before, but I think it's been I think it's been like a couple of years since you were on Fox Pop, hasn't it? I think it's been a year or two. I'm pretty
2: sure I did one sometime during COVID, but mm. definitely not quote unquote post-COVID. So it's nice to be back. Thank you. Post
0: COVID. (laughs) So Dave, you were perfect for this because you were one of the people who first brought it to my attention or actually not brought it to my attention because it was an idea we knew about, obviously. And then if people have read the blog, they'll understand where I'm about to go. But if you haven't read the blog, we need to like sort of Preface this conversation. So we were talking about public domain storytelling. The impetus for this was comics originally. And when the story that broke happened, oh, I guess it's been about a month now, month and change. It was early October, I believe. Dave wrote me and said, hey, are you guys going to do a show about this? And, you know, we were talking about it. And the thing is, for the specifics of the original story, I wasn't sure if there was enough for a show. But I think the case brings to mind talking about a bunch of other stuff. So I guess we can talk a little about what happened and why it's an interesting topic. This is about public domain and in particular, the story of Bill Willingham who is the author, and I'm going to use the word in quotes, creator of the comic book series Fables. And I guess over the course of many years, Fables wrapped up publication, I think, in like 2015. And even before it was done, there was a constant sort of back and forth sort of war over Who owns the comic, who owns publishing rights, who owns the trademarks over the characters between Willingham and DC Comics? If you know anything about comics history, this is not remotely new. This is a problem that goes back, you know, to 1939 (laughs) with with Superman (laughs) and, and probably before. But like the question of creators rights versus the company ownership of IP and Willingham got frustrated. To the point that he, I guess, talked to his lawyers, like reading his statement, definitely he didn't come up with this by himself. He definitely talked to some lawyers. And he published an open letter wherein he said he was releasing his entire creation, all of Fables, which is a series that ran for like a decade into the public domain, which is an interesting choice that it's not clear if he can legally do. But he says he can. He says, because I'm doing this, anybody can now write stories in the Fables universe and there's nothing DC can do to stop you because... I own the trademark, or at least I did, but now I'm releasing it to the public domain. So now the people own the trademark.
2: What what makes it extra slippery, I think, for anyone that's not familiar with Fables, with the series, is that it's all based on... Public domain, Grimm's yes. fairy tale characters that he has revamped, that he has given a modern edge to and talked about them being exiled from their native fairy tale lands. I mean, it's a little like if people aren't familiar with it, take Shrek and take out the
0: humor and add some sex appeal mm-hmm. or the TV show Once Upon a Time. Oh, yes. or, yeah, yeah, there are many of this is not new. And that's why it's, fascinating because he says he's releasing it. By the way, obviously this was big talk in the comic book world for literally 24 hours until or not even like 18 hours until the next morning when DC Comics could get their lawyers together to release a statement of basically the hell you say, uh, you know, yep. <laughs> no, Fables <famous> is <laughs> not in the public domain. It we is sl- slight
1: slightly more legal terms than that. Yes.
0: Yes, yeah. <laughs> <Yeah>, slightly. <laughs> but Basically, they, they basically released the statement of bullshit. No, it's not in the public Public domain. He does not have the rights to do this, and and they will argue this out forever. But that's where it stands as of a month ago. And and I didn't think that was interesting enough. Like their fight is what it is, and who knows how it's going to land. And like there's been some people who are like, "Yay, Bill Willingham! You know, he's fighting for the little guy." Which, if you know his politics, he he is not. He is fighting for himself. But I do think he has an interesting case. But I yeah. agree with Dave. It is more interesting in that like. I understand where the law allows either Willingham or DC to have a copyright on the concept of Bigby Wolf, a character who is clearly the big bad wolf, but it feels ethically nebulous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fair. Like You're no legal
2: but, expert, certainly, mm-hmm. but I think one compounding problem here is I'm not sure an author can release things to the public domain. That is it to is say that they, can. Yeah. That they can decide not to uphold their copyright if someone right. tries to reprint their material or do a riff on their material. But mm-hmm. it's sort of and Mav, we joked about this, that it's sort of Michael Scott from the office just yes. yelling out, I declare bankruptcy. Yeah. Without without there being <laughs> really any legal mechanism for it short of 95 years of publication
0: and death. Like, if it, I mean, 95 years of publication, if it belongs to DC and if it belongs to him, he has to die, you know, <laughs> like in order to start the clock. So it's not clear that he can do that. Though it is also weird in that you can publish something that is in the public domain if you Creative Commons it. So there is that, you know. Mm-hmm. There are- Ways you, you can certainly it's how open source software works, right? If I write software that is in the creative Commons, I write it for the public domain, then it is as such. And you can open source something afterwards. But the nebulous part where I'm fuzzy on it, at least legally, and this is where the courts are going to argue, is he is at least claiming that he knows he doesn't own the copyright outright that belongs to the publisher. He he says he understands that but he's claiming that he owns the trademark to the characters, not the copyright, but trademarks and copyrights are different. And creative commons is about (laughs) copyright. Like he's using, well, this is different because I own the trademark. So because I'm owning the trademark, now I'm going to do this more copyright kind of thing. And I don't know how any of that works. And I don't don't think
2: you can unring that bell. If you don't originally produce it, Again, like you said, with the Creative Commons license saying it's open to all, if it's originally copywritten or copyrighted written, um,
0: I'm not sure you can then undo that prematurely. I believe you can because that's how software works often. Like people okay. people often open source their software after the fact. I don't but again, none of us are lawyers and do not trust us. No, do not mistake right, us yes. for lawyers. <laughs> but again, that's not even like this would be an interesting fight if it were Willingham had created just some random superhero for DC Comics, but he didn't. We are literally arguing about or he is arguing about the concept for characters that started in the public domain and then they created a copyrightable version of them. Right. Like like so the main characters of Fables, there's many characters, but the main characters are Literally, the big bad wolf and and Snow White, right? Is that fair? Like, I mean yeah. there's a, there's also yeah. Cinderella. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say they're the biggest two. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, they're they're the
1: focus pretty much from beginning to end. Um,
0: and you know, both of those characters have existed in the public domain for a couple of centuries now, like for literally nice. a couple hundred years. So, I, you know, he has a version. Of Snow White that inherits from the classic storyline of and the seven dwarves and also the much less known but still classic story of and Rose Red, her sister. So uh, that's something. And he has a version of the big bad wolf that inherits from Three Little Pigs and from Goldilocks and, you know, other wolf based stories. Riding Red, and Red Riding Hood. Red Riding Hood. I said Goldilocks. I meant Red Riding Hood. Yes. So he's got a version of those characters. But like I remember watching The Charmings, which was a sitcom that I loved as yes, a Yes, I theater. saw that. It lasted for like two minutes, you know, and then we had Once Upon a Time, which was what was popular there. There have been lots of grown up versions of fairy tales. There's, I mean, Disney has made their entire career over using public domain characters to make mega blockbusters in their cartoon series, you know, like The Little Mermaid, Snow White, whatever. Right. And Disney runs into this all the time. Disney owns the copyright on the Snow White that appears with Dopey and Doc and Bashful and, you know, the one that has the most classic version of what Snow White is, and they own the copyright on the most classic version of what we think of as Gemini Cricket and Pinocchio. But those are not the original characters. They very recently, Winnie the Pooh, entered the public domain, yeah. and hence the film that came out earlier this year of Blood and Honey, which, you know, everyone loved. Everyone Love the the Blood and Honey horror movie. (laughs) Yes, it tanked phenomenally because it's a film that exists purely to do something with the public domain character. So, you know, you always had the right to like he can't give us the right to do something with the big bad wolf. You always had that right we could do something right now yes you know we could create our own version of that
1: at this moment
0: and what makes it interesting his version is humanish looking but like that's been done before that's easy enough to do the the TV show Grimm did that literally all the time as well oh that's right yeah I forgot about Grimm mm-hmm so it's not enough to make it human it's not enough to put it in modern times because again, both Once Upon a Time and Grimm and the Charmings have all done that. <laughs> it's like, so so what is it that he's actually releasing? I don't know.
2: They're sort of I mean, I didn't read fables from cover to cover, but I read enough of it to the, con- the conceit behind it is that these fairy tale characters are in exile from their homeland. And I guess if you want to operate in that universe, that's the wrinkle that he added, that they are not in their native homes anymore, but are somehow. And from what I vaguely remember, Geppetto was a bad guy and, and pursued them or something. Yeah, I actually,
1: before all this broke, I actually reread that entire series this okay whole time. Yeah. It's a game out, and I, I, you know, for the most part, I, I'm a fan. I like the series a bit, and he, he has some really interesting takes on characters. Yeah, and spoilers for something that uh, I, I reread it. Anything with that length, there's some story arcs I like better than others, and some characters sure. I like better than others, and um. But he did interesting takes on them. He, he took a lot of the basic ideas, he stood them on, on heads, making the you know, bad wolf, who was a villain in all the fables, making him one of the heroes. Certainly,
0: mm-hmm. the cop.
1: Yeah, there there were a number of storylines where not the big names were characters like Little Boy Blue, who appears in you know, one nursery rhyme, and Brog mm-hmm. Prince. And Buffoon, who is one of the flying monkeys from The Wizard of Oz, <laughs> and he does massive storylines with all three of them, making them the really sort of heroes. And I found that interesting, taking the lesser known characters, these kind of unexplored little things. Something mm. goes with. Them. I found that fascinating. So yeah, I, I guess I'm just talking about the series rather than the copyright stuff. But they're all certainly his version of Little Boy Blue is not really based on the poem. Other than the nursery rhyme, other than the name. That's the Mm -hmm. only connection there is whatsoever. Uh, So Mm -hmm. if you and I wanted to do a story about that version of Little Boy Blue, I'm sure DC come knocking. Well, would they? So
0: here's the question I'm asking. Right. Yeah. Because all he's, I mean, all he's really doing is he's giving people his explicit permission to do fanfic. Yeah, which... which You don't need explicit permission. I mean, you sort of do right. Fanfic is nebulously illegal, but like the industry, particularly the geekier industries, understand where their bread is buttered and they know not to like like they know to look the other way. Technically speaking, most things on archive of our own are violations of copyright and trademark. They are intellectual property violations that you could be sued for. But DC, Marvel, Disney, all these companies know that, hey, people are doing this out of love. And the people who are writing these stories are literally our biggest fans. So maybe we won't sue them. Maybe we will let's, just. Yeah, let's leave them alone. Right. And keep making money. Yeah. So, you know, so like he's doing that. He's also I think he's arguing that, hey, you can make a story about Bigby Wolf and you can film it and you can release it in theaters and you can make your billions and billions of dollars and you don't owe DC any money. And DC would say, again, the hell you don't. Right. So like anybody who would be insane to actually put money into trying to test this legally, I guess. Yeah, I guess
2: he's giving everyone just enough rope to hang themselves with. Like. Mm -hmm. Please go right ahead. Be my guest, because he's not going to pursue any legal
0: actions. But guess, be my guest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and yeah, I don't know, man. It's just like like I first off, I don't necessarily want to. And I think this is the difference between someone who has. Aspirations of being a writer and someone—I mean, a professional writer—and someone who's just into fanfic. I have ideas for grown-up fractured fairy tales. I don't want to mm-hmm. tell them in Ham's world. I like. Why would I want to be? Why would I want to be tied down to his mythology? I, it, 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 he has an interesting mythology, but I could also just do what I want to do, right? Like and not yeah. be tied to stuff that he wrote. So. It, the only benefit
2: that you would gain is the, what, notoriety or the, the the five minutes of notice that, look, someone is actually moving on the fable's property. Mm-hmm. Like, you would do yeah. it to be a provocateur. So,
0: so I, I gotta be first, then, because no one cares about the second guy who does
1: me. it. <laughs> so, if we, before moving this conversation into a longer, bigger topic than just Willingham, talk about just nature public domain probably give a definition of that and what we're talking about we know what it is because we live right. in this world but you know so, or for okay, our so, listeners who might not be as well versed
0: and again not lawyers and this is not limited to comic book stuff in the simplest public version, version public domain stories are stories wherein the co- the copyright has worn out because of now copyright law has changed a couple times over the years but stories where no living person in, in any longer owns the copyright, and so you can do whatever you want. There is no person on Earth who can stop me from writing my own Snow White story. There is no person on Earth who can anymore stop me from writing a Winnie the Pooh story. So long as I don't use Tigger, who is owned by the state for another year think or two years i can't remember if it's one year or two years before tigger because tigger doesn't appear in the first book so tigger is not in the public Uh domain but eeyore and Pooh, so tigger is not in blood and honey Uh, eeyore's in there Pooh's in there piglets in there because they're all in the first book tigger doesn't show up to and christopher robin's in there tigger shows up later so therefore he's not public domain yet he will be in the next release which is like he'll and i'm sure they'll make a sequel because it costs a sequel right Yeah. And it costs them $5 to make these movies. So that will, he'll show up. And that is a thing that you can do in the geek world. Alan Moore loves this concept. Alan Moore's oh League of Extraordinary Gentlemen is based on public domain characters. Alan Quatermain, Mina Harkness from Dracula, is in the, uh, I can't, the Invisible no. Man, in, Captain Nemo's in yeah. it. Yeah. J- Jekyll he- Hyde. Right? Jekyll, yeah. Yeah. So these are characters that are in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He also has his Lost Girl series as Alice from Alice in Wonderland, Dorothy Gale from Wizard of Oz. And Wendy from from Peter Pan. Pan. So he's done this. And of course, I can make my own Peter Pan. Lots of people have made Peter Pan movies. Mm -hmm. you know, the version everyone knows might be the the Disney version. But there have been lots of attempts to do new versions of of this franchise. I can do Pinocchio. I can do so nursery rhymes are in the public domain. There are early 20th century things late, you know, all the late 19th century and, well, and early, you know, things are in public domain. But throughout the 20th century, we changed the copyright laws a few times. So where copyright used to last, I'm not going to go into the specifics of the laws, but it used to last a couple of decades. Now it's like 100 years. <laughs> so uh, so like it's not. So I, I, th- I think not, like Sherlock Holmes is, is public domain. Most of it. Not all of it. But all, yeah. all except for the yeah. last few stories. Yeah. But, but yeah, there's a so those things can happen. And it also varies by country. So something sometimes you'll have something that will go into public domain in Britain, but not yet in America. Or maybe it's the other way around. I can't remember which one's longer. I think I think America's is a slightly longer than the UK's and there used so to be a thing where you have to renew copyright in
2: America is 95 years
0: yes 95 years for things that are corporately owned 95 years after the death of the author for things that are owned by individuals okay so it's weird, right? Like there's a lot. There's lots of weirdnesses to this. And, you know, for the most part, things that are recent, you know, you can't write your own Harry Potter story. She just owns that. You can't write your I mean, you can do a fanfic, but like technically it's illegal. And if so, and if she wanted to sue you for damages, she could. Interestingly enough, you cannot do, for instance, in the world of superheroes, you can't do your own Superman, but you can do a Superman like character. You can't do your own Mickey Mouse until next year when Steamboat Willie falls into the public domain but the is steamboat it, Willie uh, could,
2: mm-hmm. last week tonight with John Oliver has already started playing with that. Yes,
0: they're if using he, parody law in order to keep themselves like, but he's specifically said that, I mean, he's going out of his way to like irritate Disney because he wants to take advantage of it. Yeah, he's antagonizing he, them. And he, and parody law is allowing him to get away with it, even though technically steamboat Willie won't be in the public d- domain for another, it's November 3rd as we record this. So, For, you know, a month and 27 days. (laughs) That's when it goes into the public domain. You can make a Steamboat Willie advent calendar. You
2: can start ticking down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But like even those, right? Like when Steamboat Willie goes into the public domain, you will be able to use Mickey Mouse as he appeared in Steamboat Willie, but not the later versions of Mickey Mouse. Like he didn't have the white gloves yet. So there are particulars about the way he was drawn are later additions that you will not be able to use and disney will absolutely he can't be wearing the wizard hat yeah yeah but you can make him a wizard based on a different wizard based on the original appearance it's going to be crazy and i'm really looking forward to seeing because disney is litigious and you know they but they they will do things they will protect themselves If they feel like you are damaging their property, but you know, they do still have trademark on Mickey mouse, but they don't, they won't have copyright on the original appearance of Mickey mouse anymore, which will be interesting because Disney made their fortune basically adapt. They didn't make their fortune from Mickey mouse. They made their fortune originally from snow white and then adapting lots of public domain characters. So, you know, I sort of appreciate (laughs) the, I I appreciate the irony of the weirdness of companies like Disney or Warner Brothers which Warner Brothers for people who don't know owns DC and therefore they control they ultimately control the ownership of fables through you know a conglomerate of corporations so <laughs> but like ugh, you know they clearly like I don't know how you ever solve this right because they they've also got characters in in the Sandman universe that are based on fairy tale characters <laughs> I don't know. Not only that, they have characters from like Nordic mythology. Also,
1: all public domain. Yeah, yeah. Marvel, Marvel and DC have both used characters.
0: Oh, sure. In yeah, mythology. There's a Hercules and a Thor oh. in both universes that are different. Like Thor and Hercules of the DC universe are different than the characters that appear in the Marvel universe, and oh. you can <laughs> tell them apart because one of them has Avengers ID and the other doesn't. <laughs> Basically, and I mean, then you have like characters like uh, there's uh, Eric Larson who does Savage Dragon for Image Comics. He's also used those characters. And he is very much also doing parody and making fun of their appearances in the Marvel and DC world. But he is doing something that is legally distinct in his own. So, you know,
2: I think if you ever read the series Cerberus by mm-hmm. Dave Sam, yes, there's an interesting case. I mean, he is in self a weird guy. <laughs> Yes. But interesting how he would paradise all sorts of other characters from other companies. And yet he got into his own legal mix. I want to say with McFarlane, Todd McFarlane, when he was doing work for hire for him. So Mm -hmm. he got like, it became like an Ouroboros, like eating its own tail.
0: (laughs) You know, it is going to be very weird. I want to, I don't know. I don't know how the Willingham case ends, but the ramifications of it are huge. Not because I feel like anybody, and maybe there are people who want to make a fables movie without going to DC, but like, I can't imagine anybody who has the money to actually Build a you know a theatrical release film is going to risk that money on like Disney is not trying to do this right and frankly what about, what about something like like a podcast a
2: fables podcast or a fables stage play or a fables operetta I, I mean I'm just thinking if they wanted to take the actual material and
0: transpose it into another medium that, that they can't do film because that's a violation of the- that's a violation of warner brothers publishing like they can't just take the stories published by warner by you know dc which is owned by warner and then do can't just like make fables the vox Popcast audiobook and just like rec- you know record everything that mm. they've done and then sell it that's clearly illegal what i'm allowed to do is write the continuing stories of bigby wolf at least according to willingham right. I'm, allowed, I'm allowed to write my own stories and then dc can't stop me but if I were going to do that and I really believed in my story, I just wouldn't do Big Be Wolf. I would make my own original, like, which I could have done anyway. I'm sure there are tables, you, you know, would, uh, I'm certain yeah. you would, but I can
2: picture that person that is hungry enough. <laughs> to want to just launch off the coattails of this thing. And whether they're doing it as a video game or as a podcast or as, I don't know, pantomime, as mime theater, (laughs) I can see someone out there saying the buzz, just the momentary buzz of me capitalizing on this is the boost I need. And you're willing to risk the fury of David Zaslav for it. I'm not, certainly. <laughs> I've stayed pretty safe in whatever public domain works I've played with, but yes, yeah, no. I, I yeah, can't can can at the moment. This. So moment.
0: we should. The reason Dave's here is like you have written, I don't know what else to call it, public domain extension comics before. Yeah, yeah, it's fair to call it that. I've mined things from the public domain that
2: I have brought back into print. I've tried to resurrect after a fashion, uh, but for various reasons, not always for the same goal. I mean, sometimes it was because it hasn't been done in comics yet. Other times it's been because uh, I wanted the legacy of the thing not lost to the public domain. In fact, NPR recently did a thing where they took an extremely obscure public domain superhero and made it the mascot of one of their podcasts. So it can be believe the character's name was Microface and I'd never heard of him before. But when I did it with Kismet, Man of Fate, it was because I didn't want this character just lost to, you know, the sands of time. I wanted there to be something new on the market, if only to remind people
1: of the character, who was the first Muslim superhero in comics in mm. 1944. I, I guess in, in comics, let's talk a little bit about, again, that copyright thing. There's stuff in the public domain in terms of superheroes or characters from the 40s, simply because the companies that own them haven't existed for 70 years. Right. Right. Characters you, have not, right. Yeah, characters have not been published. So mm-hmm. that gets past the no, right, however many right. years copyright is
0: right, which at the time was like twenty, and then you had to renew it, yeah. and then the companies were out of business by the time the renewal came up. So, like the ninety-five years thing is relatively new. That's like relatively yeah. Yeah. from the seventies. So, so like these so com- there are, these companies from like nineteen forty-one who just did a they did a five issue run and then they mm-hmm. went out of business. There's just nobody there. There's nobody to and renew- and if if you just Google you know, public domain
1: superheroes. There's a huge list of them that of us could do our Mm -hmm. versions of and a lot of modern companies have you dynamite did black terror and the the original daredevil and that that was a case where he'd use the Daredevil, murdoch marvel comics version of it but they couldn't call him Mm -hmm. that because of the marvel version so it was published Mm -hmm. as the death death defying devil but those cop those characters when i could do a black terror Oh, Oh, as long as we did my version of
0: it. And there have been several companies that have done. So the daredevil character that you're referring to, who, if you've ever seen him, you know, he has like a red and I think it's supposed to be red and black. It might be blue. There's always the the question in comics of whether or not like the bluish color is supposed to be black or not, but he is a split. He is a split bodied character that two-tone character that I believe has appeared in Savage Dragon, I believe he's appeared in astro city maybe <laughs> he's been he's been re- rebooted by many i don't know by many different comic book companies trying to like. Build on the legacy of this weird fan favorite character that just no one owns anymore. But then on top of that, like M Force has several characters that do, that do, that do this. I believe there's like different versions of like they have the Blue Bulleteer, who is a version of Phantom Lady that they could. You know, again, legally distinct enough for us to copyright, but it is just based on the original version of Phantom Lady, which is in the public domain. But most of Phantom Lady isn't most of Phantom Lady is currently owned by DC Comics. But because of this weird thing where certain things companies would, you know, people would go out of business and no one was mind minding the store. You know, there are characters like that just sort of weirdly exist in. Yeah, a nebulous line. man's land.
2: Tell you, I'll, I'll tell you a funny uh, anecdote. When I was first doing research on Kismet, because I, I was even. Unaware of him, I didn't grow up reading Kismet or anything. This how many
0: issues are there of the original series? Like
2: four, just four. And he was yeah, there were four issues of Bomber Comics back in nineteen forty four, and he was one of a stable of heroes that they did adventures for. This was Gilberton Comics, and. Gilberton only survived or is, you know, remembered mostly for being the publisher of classics illustrated. Mm. It started as an imprint of the Elliott Publishing Company, then later became Gilberton. And so we still have the Classics Illustrated. So I had to track down this whole thing. I became fascinated with it on an on an academic level. But then when I started thinking about it creatively, like, ooh, what could I do with this character? This would be fun. Is there are there more things to say with this character? I actually went to the current publishers of Classics Illustrated and basically asked for their blessing said hmm. I, I would like to do this i think anyone has the right to to do this how would you feel about this and they if basically said i don't want to have a fight <laughs> yeah i basically said are you going to sue me if if i do this and they said we're not going to sue you but it would be lovely if you paid us for it and i said wait a minute hold on you don't have the right to this character they didn't renew the copyright on any of the other titles except for Classics Illustrated. And so they let everything else lapse. And so I said, wait a so minute. So they can't charge you're... you for something they don't own, right? You can't charge me for something you don't own. This is basically just me being like a generous soul. And I was not in any position to offer up just free money to them right. just so that we had happy feelings between us. And so I said, mm-hmm. gosh, I'm sorry. I'm happy to credit the legacy of this and, and what you're doing in
0: publishing now, but yeah, I'm not
2: gonna pay for nothing. I'm not gonna pay for something that's free.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey, Wayne, you wrote the you wrote a couple of books about King Arthur, right? Yeah, well, one one, one very, very specifically. specifically.
1: Well, it'd be I'll lovely love if you paid I'll
0: be right back with my
1: checkbook. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> the King Arthur. Yeah, well, yeah story I mean, like payment. Yeah. Suddenly yes. from Wayne. hundred years later. <laughs> yeah.
2: I was similarly careful and I want to say a little more reverential when I decided to work on an adaptation of Khalil Gibran's The Prophet which just Mm -hmm. turned 100 years, it's the 100-year anniversary, 1923 to 2023. Mm -hmm. Knowing that Khalil Gibran is a relatively well-known poet, philosopher, illustrator, painter, I really didn't want to run afoul of anyone, because I don't think anyone but the classics illustrated people were even knew who Kismet was whereas the prophet is like an adored piece of work translated into dozens upon dozens of languages worldwide so i had to tread much more carefully in in putting that work together but again it's well within anyone's right to especially as i shifted media from free verse poem to comic book adaptation, graphic adaptation with graphic Monday, maybe the shift in media made it a bit less precarious. I wasn't trying to republish a poem as it was without.
0: Absolutely transformative. And in,
2: in, in your, yes, it was, mm-hmm. yes, we were definitely transforming it. Justin Renteria, the illustrator and I were definitely trying to do right by the original poem not butcher it, not do anything violent to it, but at the same time, make it a new product. You
0: really think that Classic Illustrated even knew that they owned Kismet? No, yeah, no, no, no. no. You, said, you said that, but you said no one else would have been aware of it. They have been aware of it if you hadn't said anything.
2: Probably not. They probably knew somewhere in the recesses that Bomber Comics was something that they did at some point, but they okay. couldn't have named the characters that showed up. This wasn't a, even a title character. This was one. As part of an anthology, so yeah, I don't think if I hadn't raised raised it to them in good faith, you know, in like, hi there, I want us to be friends. Yeah, I don't think they ever would have known otherwise.
0: so, So as opposed to again. The Prophet, I don't think is, you know, like, like, is there an estate that even could have sued you or tried to? Like, they're clearly out of copyright. Like, there's so there's no because that book's from, you said, 1923, right? And yeah, that's right. He's Um, been dead since the 30s. So, like,
2: yeah, he's been dead a long time and there is no family estate to speak mm-hmm. of, unlike, mm-hmm. you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's family or L. Frank L. Baum's family that are trying mm-hmm. to hold on to their respective properties. But right. I did know that he was, you know, a kind of a cherished figure in right. Lebanon, yeah. in Paris and New York. So I didn't want to invite. Um,
0: I right. well, so we're, we're not talking about just the legal. You're trying to show reverence to the fan base to the community surrounding the work. You're trying to yeah, the leg- the whole you're legacy. fans. Yeah, to the legacy. And keep
1: it alive. Yeah, and
0: to keep it alive.
2: Yeah, that's the idea. And I mean the, part of the whole reason was I wanted to celebrate the original poem. I wanted to do something for the hundredth anniversary, not just be a profiteer, you know, not just, you know, ride the coattails yeah. here, but a profiteer. I see what you really did there. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> It, but actually have a reason for people to rediscover the original if it never crossed their path. As I talk with some librarians and I talk with some educators, they see this as a really great way into a first step towards the original poem rather than starting with the original poem, show a visualization of it, show scenes that involve the original verse, and that might ignite a a well-deserved interest in the original free verse that might not otherwise get picked up by the average reader. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was very important that we, you know, did no violence, that we took a sort of a comic book Hippocratic Oath, Justin and I, uh, and the publisher, Graphic Mundi, who's been wonderful in all this, um, that, you know, first do no harm, that whatever we visualized or imagined wasn't something far away from what Gibran might have thought or wished for himself. He was Both a writer and an illustrator himself, a painter and a charcoal artist. So I like to think that if comics had been, you know, the the comics as we know them today had been a thing at the time, he would have given his own blessing to it. That would be my hope. I'll never get proof on that one way or the other. But I liked that as a guiding principle.
0: Say you communed with the spirit. We'll buy it. (laughs) Sure. Yes. Gibran spoke to me.
2: He came to me in a vision one night. (laughs) 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 I, (laughs) I did actually do like a little mini pilgrimage. I live in the Boston area and Gibran did live here for a while as a child, as an immigrant. And so I went to the memorial for him, and just you know, sat around, took pictures, but just tried to just soak in anything I could. I have no quantifiable way of saying whether that made it to the final product or not, but it made me feel good to do, and not feel mm-hmm. like hiring something unduly. It's cool. You know, make sure so, we yeah, have. I feel like Forrest pump So yeah,
0: that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> So, right, one of the things we're talking about is, you know, we said we don't know that Willingham has the ability to stop anybody anyway from doing. He certainly doesn't have an ability to stop you from just writing a Snow White story. Anybody can do that or a Big Bad Wolf story. It's more about the connection to his world. But the weird thing is going to be, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. A lot of times people will do fan fiction because of a love of the property. Right. So like right. I, what I was getting at when I said, do I want to play in in his world or do I want to write my own fairy tale story, my own modern incarnation of a fairy tale? Like, I don't want to stay in Willingham's world any more than I want to stay in. I don't know, Angela Carter's or Anne Rice did a version of Sleeping Beauty. I don't want to play with her version. I want to do my own. Right. I don't want to do Disney's either. So uh, but then there certainly is the reason the fan fiction world exists, the reason AO3 exists is because people have a love of the property. Right. So sometimes you do just want to. And I mean, I get this like I, you know, certainly I probably have a Superman story in my head or a Batman story or a Mm Spider-Man story, you know, so like, sure, I could write one of those and then the you know the copyright police would come if i tried to publish it if i tried to make any money on it so you end up with things like the 50 shades of gray world so for those who don't know 50 shades of gray started its reality as fanfic for twilight but then mm-hmm. the more she worked on it and the more And she got she's like, well, maybe I could just write for real. And then so she kept changing it and it became more about BDSM and less about vampires. And then she changed all the names. And then eventually she just had her own little world, which now has people doing fanfic of their own. Right. So (laughs) there's I don't know. I mean that's where I'm wondering, like, what is like there? I think I don't, we've done shows on fanfic before. I don't want to disparage fanfic. I think it's a art form. I think no. it's an important art form that gives people a connection with the material. I, 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 I actually encourage it. I wish people did more of it. And I think, you know, I grew up you know, up with stories of my micro
1: heroes and the internet allowed fan to spread right you know like when I was ten, I would write something and show it to my friend who read comics so it it's always been there. I certainly wasn't a threat to d c when I wrote my Batman. right it was like two people read it yeah, if that and uh, but the, but the internet <laughs> your some, mom. <laughs> yeah, she loved it by the way. <laughs> <laughs> But the He's internet so talented, allowed suddenly. My boy, <laughs> <laughs> he'll write <Or>. books someday. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, the internet suddenly allowed millions of eyes to be early self practice. I'm still <laughs> talking about fanfic. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but there is, there's that whole, and you know, in copyright law is a certain level of, yeah, they look the other way, but if you're putting fanfic up on your blog and not making any money off of it, it's really, it's not really an issue for the company. Like, right. Copyright law, it boils down to, can someone mistake this for, original. Does this compromise our trademark, our our copyright, our ability to sell this product? And if I write a Batman story and put it up on my blog, everybody knows it's not Marvel. I mean Don Byrne had been writing and drawing an ongoing X-Men series and putting it up on his blog for now.
0: Yeah. Marvel is not suiting for and, well, and he's certainly far above the notice of like, if I did it, they wouldn't know and they wouldn't care. Right, Fern, right. They know, and it's literally just you know. like, like I. It, essentially, it's at a world where it's just like, look, if it just if it makes him happy and it makes the fans yeah. happy, and no one has to deal with it, like long as he doesn't make too much money, right. long as he doesn't make a big stink of it, they're just letting it go yeah. because it's yeah. easier dealing with it. <laughs> it's easier to do than anything else. So he's clearly and in copyright. Oh yeah.
1: And and watch the the comic strip, that JL eight the comic artist by the name of Yale Stewart. And it's mm-hmm. the premise oh. of it is it's the Justice League as eight year olds. And it's right. wonderful. It's so well drawn. But mm-hmm. he just started doing this on his webpage. Uh and it was originally called Little League and mm-hmm. Little League Baseball sent him a cease and desist order. And mm-hmm. it's marvelous, but it's still not officially, as far as I know, it's still not officially licensed by DC. They haven't put books out. The fact that they haven't just hired him to do a book is remarkable to me because it's better than a lot of what DC Yes. Yes. Um, it's brilliant. It's, really- it's so good. And he still, you know, I Facebook. I you know, I see him every week. Still coming mm-hmm. out, yeah, uh, really? so he's a parody skirting parody the, the the copy. bit, but like yeah, probably. But it's not even I don't necessarily see it as parody. I suppose it technically. It's a
0: loving homage. It's what it is. <laughs> yes.
1: Oh my God. Yes. It, it's absolutely. And you know, DC has done versions of there's Clark, Bruce, and Diana when they were in middle school. Right. And the fact that they just haven't hired him to do this. And, and legitimate professional yeah. level is prime
2: isn't the longest piece of english fiction or english literature currently a fan fiction piece do i remember i'm, I'm pulling that oh, somewhere out of the back of my head but it, it's some like smash brothers really? work up yeah so, someone's got to check me on this but i mean the reason i bring it up is that copyright was originally proposed to protect The creator, not so that a corporation or a company could have a lockdown on something. Right. So that I don't create Superman one week and you start writing Superman stories the next week. And I'm just wondering if fanfic is the, you know, natural response to copyright being largely taken over by publishers and corporations, if it's the freedom to create that copyright originally supported and
0: endorsed. There's a few things. So so I'm seeing the subspace emissaries world conquest is a fan fake loosely based on Super Smash Brothers. And it is over three million five hundred thousand words as of the post that I see from seven years ago. But I also just found a a forum post from earlier this year, from March, talking about Loud House revamped in fanfiction.net by James Dean 5842, boasting a staggering 16 million words. That's (laughs) astonishing. I mean, that's that's. I mean, like you deserve notoriety if you've written 16. Like if for anybody who's tried to do ever a, you know, like just a I don't even know, what to, like like a NaNoWriMo or something like a to write a novel or right. something. Or if you've ever written a dissertation or if you've ever written anything of any substance like I have. I teach classes where I have students who are terrified about the idea of writing a paper that's five pages long. You know, right. <laughs> so that's like mm-hmm. Twelve hundred words like roughly right it it is 1300 ish you know somewhere in there this is 16 million words 16 i'm looking at it now it is currently 16,777,215 words spread across 2,253 chapters bravo sir (laughs) And, and yeah and it it is i don't even know what it's based on i believe probably everything you know you know at this point because like why wouldn't it be i don't know that anybody's re- i mean how would you even read this like yeah like, like it would take a lifetime to get through this so i'm impressed by the ability to create it because even reading it would just take forever so
2: basically posing fan fiction as like sibling to public domain, like they both operate at opposite ends of this incredibly complicated and frankly, artificial law, Mm -hmm. a law that was put in place not to protect corporations, but to protect creators. And either you work on something under copyright or outside of copyright or in violation of copyright which
1: fan fiction technically is, but it's not, it's not enforced it's uh, and you' and there is that difference between corporations taking advantage and just and corporations. Should so learn very early. You, if you if we publish your work, we own it. We own the copyright, and they just dated Schuster's story and everybody who worked in comics back then, or pretty much any other publishing thing. Oh. You and know, Schuster weren't thinking about copyright and what this meant when they did it. They were just wow. happy to make a sale. Mm-hmm. And, but this was but a the, good, this was people a good deal at the time. Yeah, and and but the people running the magazine would see much farther their head understanding that if we own this we can milk it for the rest of our natural lives
0: you know? right. and they milk so. it far greater than they, did, like, than they could have ever possibly dreamed but that's part of oh, yeah that's part of the tragedy of it right like like Siegel and Schuster were two I mean Wayne and I we just did and in fact go back a couple of episodes you'll listen to us talking at the the Superman conference in Cleveland. But one of the things, if you're a comic scholar, you know, it's not like they weren't screwed at the time in that they were two starving kids from Cleveland who had been trying to get this story published for years. So basically it was either take this money or take no money. It wasn't like they had an option of or do it yourself. So like they got something but they They were they were
1: relatively well paid right. to a lot of but people in depression what, era America.
0: Yes. But compared to what it would ultimately become right. like, you know, right. a better a fairer deal would have been literally one percent of all Superman sales ever and their mm-hmm. you know their children wouldn't be working today.
2: <laughs> right.
0: Yeah. Like 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 there's no or their grandchildren even, you, you know, like there's no yeah. good way of doing this that doesn't screw them other than like sort of not having capitalism, which I'm all for, you know? <laughs> you know, but like that's not the, the world we're living in. That's a little bit bigger than I think
2: comics or even the publishing industry has to tackle a total takedown of capitalism,
0: you know, but if I can do it by copying fables, I guess go for it or rather you should, because I, I'm not, I don't, You know, I'm a poor teacher. I can't afford to be sued. (laughs) Same here, man. Same here. Yeah, I don't have have it like that, you know. Like, I I live in a world where, and, you know, Dave, you'll know this as well, right? I live in a world of academic publishing where fair use laws exist specifically for academic criticism. Like, it's written into the law very clearly. And yet, I live in a world where we publish books and people are like, I don't know do we do we want to put this you know you got to, we've got this book about Spider-Man but do we really want to put his picture in there and 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 risk having to deal with Marvel <laughs> like oh,
2: and then the risk that he even appears on the cover or the word Spider-Man appears yeah. anywhere in the title yeah it's a crazy dance that we do and yes. we're trying to cover a subject that we have every right to cover Yes. And analyze it, and even promote even if it's a positive analysis and a worthwhile literally, one
0: <laughs> literally our job so so currently i've talked about this on the show i believe currently i'm working on a book on batman so it's not marvel it's dc but i'm working on a, on edited collection on batman and batman characters and there's a very real question of you know how do we get approval to publish artwork of bat characters in this book about bat characters, <laughs> literally mostly lovingly, right? Like there's no, and by the way, I have no delusions. This is an academic, uh, it's, it's an academic text, right? You know, if it sold 5,000 copies, I would, you know, cry. I'd be like, oh my God, it's so amazing. it's <laughs> <laughs> <I'm> a mistaken <I'm laughs>
2: for a Batman property, it's not going to put other, it doesn't jeopardize or risk no. the skills of any Batman titles being put out by DC. Right.
0: Right. Nope. Nobody's nobody's going, well, we could see the next Robert Pattinson movie. But Mav's got this book of academic criticism. (laughs) Which one do we do? I don't know, man. Wouldn't it be amazing
2: if your book kicked off a bat renaissance If like the main Batman properties in TV and film and print all got some bump because of an academic book.
0: (laughs) It is possible that I will outsell the domestic gross of the Flash. Oh, <laughs> harsh! Yeah, it's not true i paid money to see that movie in theater so i feel like i i, I feel like i've bought the right to make one joke about it <laughs> it's, it's about what they made so bad it did so poorly so anyway we've resolved nothing because now we're just we're resolved nothing <laughs> it's I, I i find it fascinating I did want to talk a little bit about like the fables case just because it came up. And I mean, oh, yeah. it came up a month ago in our world and it obviously wasn't important. Like literally when we were booking shows, it's like, do we want to talk about this? Yeah. Okay. But, but I, but when, cause we'd rather kind of, you know, we really want to bump our, our, our killer show on, the Superman conference, no, you know, like there were, like, like, we just had other things that we had to like keep, like, sort of shoving inside. So it's like it's a month ago, and I'm betting most listeners haven't even heard of the case because it was really big. It was really big, in literally in the world of comic book criticism, academic comic book criticism, and even for us, this was a 24-hour news cycle, and then the story was done. I, I want to say it was 36 hours. Because okay. yeah, we, we had to have time for the because it was like the time that Willingham made his announcement. People talked about it for a day and then DC made their counter announcement. And then, you know, by the next morning we were done with it. We're just like, OK, I haven't heard any updates. I literally. So, yeah, 36 hours. Not
2: quite You're releasing the podcast so that when something huge comes of this you can point right back to this episode
0: yeah we can revisit this i guess i mean i don't know i i I do think that the concept is important i not necessarily for doing fables or you know and god forbid anybody try to do their own superman or their own but like i do think for instance uh, dave what you've done is an interesting use of public domain law And a good use of public domain law like I like I would love it. It would be awesome to me if if we did live in a world where people were routinely making Superman content that was published, you know, high quality Superman content that was published and like everybody was just cool with it, because honestly. I love jl I have no confusion whatsoever. I have yeah, over 10, <laughs> you know, and I can understand well, that this little cartoon that I'm, that I read on the web is not in the same universe as, you know, there's no marketplace confusion. Like the only thing it's really doing is copyright law is just making DC money by if yeah, anybody it, else wants to do anything. As I said, the
1: only confusion with JL8 is the, this isn't an officially licensed product. Really? <laughs>
0: Why not? What's wrong with you? Right, right. And it's sort of, I mean, it's, it is a weird way people attack things. And this is a different show, but, you know, we, we, we talked a little bit about like my definitely, and to a lesser extent, I'd say Wayne. But you, I think you're going to agree my distaste for canon and like how I, you know, <laughs> canon is the idea of canon. Canon is what I'm thinking about right now about this character. So as far as I'm concerned, JL8 is just as much of the real Superman as anything that's happened in Superman, the movie or Smallville or the comic book ever. Right. Some of those things more so. I don't care for I don't care for the Superman portrayal in the Zack Snyder movies. I know some people do. I prefer the JL8 version to to the Zack Snyder (laughs) version. And so, like, is there marketplace confusion? No, I know that one's blessed by DC, one's not. But I also choose to just not care, and I like, and I don't. It doesn't confuse me any more than the fact that, like, when I've watched my nephew, my eight-year-old nephew, talk about Superman and tell me a Superman story, I understand that his version is not being published by DC Comics, and I'm fine. <laughs> like, I'm, I can work that out. I, you know, I, I it doesn't bother me. So therefore. I do wish people were a little more relaxed about it because I would love to see more interesting content. And I, I just like people complain like, Oh, I I need to know which one, you know, what's the real star Wars continuity. What's the real, what's Canon and what's not, but I don't think they really care. I think it's just part of the game is to track it
2: because we like, somehow got through this whole podcast without saying the word multiverse.
0: Right. Cause I don't care. Right. Right. I mean, I mean, now yeah. you might tell me interesting multiverse story. Like I liked the recent Spider-Man movie. I loved everything everywhere all at once. Right. Like these are interesting things that you can do, but If you're complaining about marketplace confusion with Marvel or DC, both of whom publish completely separate comic book universes from film universes. And frankly, also multiple film universes for, for some of them and multiple comic universes. Like if Marvel can publish the ultimate line and the six one six line and Expect its fans to keep it straight, then they shouldn't really be worried about whether or not fans can understand something that's on archive of our own, and so they don't. Well,
2: I don't think they're. Worried, I don't think they're worried about fans understanding. I think they're worried about fans preferring. And makes a version that doesn't belong to them. That is superior in some way or touches on something. Or, frankly, one thing we haven't talked about gets misused. You create a pornographic version or you create a a hate speech version of Superman. Mm -hmm. Then that actually is what's going to make DC Comics sweat. And and that's
0: they can't. Axel Braun does it. Um, Porn parodies of Superman um, that he's been doing. Um, he and are very clearly and very specifically protected by parody law they cannot touch them and by the way fucking brilliant like I've watched yes I mean so I mean are they good no they're not terribly interesting what he does is he's done he's done a bunch of Marvel ones and DC ones and he is clearly a massive comic book geek so he like most of the movies are here are some of my favorite key scenes from the comics and I'm reshooting them. I'm, I'm producing them for film and the parody element is, and then they fucked. <laughs> that's, like, like, I mean, it's seriously like, like, I mean, I don't know. Pick one. Um, so the Batman one, the, the, the Batman comic girl one of the, one of them, there's like a, either Batman or a Batman triple triple X has a scene that is literally the killing joke. And it's a very well done version of the Joker Doing the, you know, the shooting of Barbara Gordon. It is very well shot for a fan film, but then their sex. It doesn't make any sense. It's, you know, is it rapey? Is it sex? It doesn't matter. There's sex in it so that it's a parody so that he can get away with doing this. <laughs> like, like they're,
2: well, it, there's know, so little sex in superhero, it, it yeah. overt, direct sex in superhero comics themselves. Hey, I just want to note people that came to this podcast because I promoted it to talk about the prophet probably <laughs> should cut it off here. <laughs>
0: As but we yeah. get
2: into our discussion of superhero
0: porn, maybe it's A little different than the well, a little different than book. We can say that for another episode. But yes, I, just saying <laughs> and we, the, in the history of that, the Tijuana Bible, back to yeah, yeah the, so I was I was thinking, thinking of that as well. Yeah, yeah, and I talk about again this, all stuff from my dissertation, which is why I actually did watch the entire uh, Axel Braun line because I talk about or, it. In a my yeah, yeah, sure, so, yeah, my, yeah, my whole job. <laughs> But yes, like, it's weird, right? And there's no point in my head. The the point that I'm making is there's no point in my head where I go, wait a minute. Did that happen in the real comics or was that an Axel Braun? No, I know which ones are which and it's fine. You know, it doesn't like there's not really that marketplace confusion. So that's so... The morality behind the law, I think, isn't really in jest. Like, I don't think to go back to profit, I don't think that you are being confused with the original work. Like, no, you're very clearly making it obvious that, like, this is a transformation, it is a, an adaptation of this thing. And we
2: we shout that on the cover and in right. the afterward and in the promotional material. Right. We're super above board in that regard. Right.
0: So I and again, no one's suing you there because everyone's been dead for a hundred years. I get it, right? Yeah, but, true also. but or nine or well, ninety-five years he's been dead, but the story's a hundred years old. So no one's right. going to sue you. But like conceptually, if you were to do that about something, it's a shame that you can't do that about you know some recent book or poem that is also beloved but happened to come out in twenty eighteen or something. Mm-hmm. You know, that's my thoughts. That's a fair thought. Anyway, David, thank you for joining us. This was fun. Yeah, yeah, great. Thanks for coming great. back. Thank you. Ask you what you want to promote. I was good I was talk to, talk to you. I've already promoted my brains out. I got nothing else to
2: promote. Don't yeah. Read the prophet. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is linked in the show notes. If you want to buy the book, that would be awesome. I mean, linked in the show notes, I it will. I'll even link it with a little Amazon affiliate code. So for every copy of profit you you buy, if you click on our link, I think, you know, we'll make like a nickel or something. I don't know. Profit oh, sharing. Yes, yes.
1: I'm all in favor of oh, that, that. That's Spotify money there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Wayne, what about you? Okay, oh,
0: stop asking. <laughs> But then I have no little ending bit. It's you know, like, uh, I need to ask just so, just so that you say you got nothing anyway. Yeah, no, <laughs> someday, eventually, and we'll once again have. So that you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or Blue Sky or Threads or uh, Mastodon when I remember they have. It. Anyway, basically all the places. Always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show on Twitter or Facebook or Blue Sky currently at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com, where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. And you can leave us comments on this or any other episode. You can suggest topics. You can say anything that comes to mind. Sometimes we pick guests based on things that people say. Sometimes the topic suggestions, like it today, you know, become an episode. That's how we figure those out. If you enjoy the show and we certainly hope you do, then please subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify or Pandora or wherever the hell you get podcasts from and do us a favor, leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on iTunes, Apple podcasts, that goosey algorithm makes us more popular and really helps us out. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank David for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank hey.